<laughs> Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution were tuck luck, tough luck losers on Saturday afternoon as a ninth minute red card to Antonio De La Mea and a last minute penalty kick resulted in a 2-1 defeat at Yankee Stadium. The Revs started strong with a second minute goal from Juan Fernando Caicedo, but playing down a man for most of the game, NYCFC came crawling back, striking in the 70th and 95th minute. The loss drops the, drops the Revs to 7th place in the Eastern Conference for the moment. And with the loss, the Revs only have 6 points in their last 6 games. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. And uh, we also have the refereeing expert on the line today, fan of the 1-0 Philadelphia Eagles, Jake Catanese is joining us uh, from his car on speakerphone. Uh, Jake, how's it going today? Yeah, hold on. You're going to go, lead in with the Eagles and not the incredibly Antonio Brown-led New England Patriots? Well, we're going to get to that after you get off the phone because we want to, you know, we want we want to have a positive spin on things. And I know you're just going to rain on our parade. So well, I'm going to rain on a different parade. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm actually qualified to rain on that first one. <laughs> well, well, let's get right to it. Uh, I, I think everyone who is listening to this has probably seen the play. Neo De La Man sent off for a, uh, I mean, barely a foul, it seemed like, um, taking down an NYC FC attacker um, really the call was, I guess it was because he was the last man back, but it seems like there was very minimal contact. It was an extremely harsh foul and an extremely harsh red card, and it obviously had a significant significant impact on the game. So, uh, Jake? Right off the bat, it's it's not a foul. And and Antonio Lillemaia plays the ball more than, I don't remember the attacker for New York City offhand. Uh, I don't know if the attacker misses the ball, if it bounces, but I do know that effectively it looks like De La Mea passes the ball or plays the ball more or less backwards, whether it's intended for Matt or whether it's just intended to get away from the attacker, um, is neither here nor there. Um, if, and I don't believe that this is a foul, if you want to say that it is an obstruction foul after the fact, um, that's fine. Uh, but to go back on VAR and say that... Uh, Antonio Del Mea is a last attacker, and that is a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. It is a laughable decision and a laughable interpretation of what I believe is the, the laws for the denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. The New York City attacker does not have possession of the ball, nor is he likely to gain possession of the ball in a manner that is going to threaten the goal. Uh, at best, he's going to have the ball in the corner. The ball or the play is not going towards goal. It's going towards the end line uh, at the parallel of the box. Uh, and, and for that matter, I don't think that there's any way you can review that play, which the only reason they reviewed it was, I believe, to determine whether or not De La Mea was the last attacker. Instead of looking at the entire play as a whole, and in my opinion, should have erased the yellow card, uh, they review the play, determine... Antonio is the last man, which, again, is not the only requirement for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, and they send off uh, Tony in the ninth minute and effectively ruins whatever game plan uh, they had uh, for New England. Um, I, I think it's a decision New England should appeal. I think it's a position that uh, will be overturned. Um, but we, we cannot have, in the era of VAR, um, a mistake like that. Um, in the way that the game works now. Uh, you're going to make a decision like that. You've got to be absolutely certain on VAR that it is the correct decision in all facets. And I don't believe that due diligence was done um, on that review. I believe the review was only there so that uh, Sylvie Petrescu could determine, oh, yeah, he was the last man. Forgetting the fact there's two defenders in the middle of the box. Forgetting the fact the ball is nowhere near or no 
nowhere going towards gold. Um, I think it's a poor decision, uh, and I think uh, it, it shouldn't even have to be appealed. It should just be overturned. Um, but we know that's not how the disco and everyone's going to make it work. Uh, New England's going to have to uh, review this on their own uh, and likely get it overturned. And, and that's a shame because uh, Bruce Arena said it, uh, you know, it, it ruined what could have been a very good game and a very good benchmark for how far New England has come. Instead, uh, we don't learn a whole lot uh, from the game. Yeah, and it should be noted, too, I mean, I'm looking at this, and Castellanos, who's the NYCFC attacker, I mean, he misses, he almost misses the ball. Tony De La Maya kind of kicks it away, and then, in almost bracing for himself, De La Maya kind of gets a forearm on Castellanos' back, and Castellanos goes down extremely easy. Um, so, it, 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 I mean, even if you want to call that a foul, it's a bit of a ticky-tack foul. To lead to a red card and have that big of an impact on the whole game um, seems uh, pretty severe. Uh, and I agree with you, Jake. I, I would imagine this should be overturned. I'm not sure if MLS will be that. Uh, <laughs> I, they, 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 they have defended their referees in the past, so I, I would not be shocked if this isn't overturned, but it certainly should be. You can absolutely go through, and I think um, I have to remember, uh, again, I think there's a quote that I believe the Revs team or uh, Jeff Lemieux uh, has, has put out that clearly shows, I believe, Castellanos. Uh, kind of going over the bar or kind of skipping over his foot, and then Tony clearly playing the ball. And again, when you have a VAR review like this, it not just be for whatever piece of information that you need. The VAR review is the entire play. And to have a VAR review at this stage of the game and of this magnitude, to have that little oversight or that little discretion on, well, I called a foul, I issued a yellow card, now I know he's the last man, he's off. Um, that's not the way the review system should be working. The review system should be there to make sure that those types of plays are correct. And to have a VAR review go from what should not be a foul to a yellow card to then review to a red card um, is, is, should get someone not so much in trouble, but whoever the VAR guy is, he's not working a playoff game now. If, if this comes back and gets overturned, uh, Petrescu and the VAR guy at most should get one playoff assignment and that's it. And Petrescu's a veteran. Petrescu's a guy you could pencil in to work what would have been, I would say, one of the semifinal conference legs, but we don't have those anymore. Um, you know, these are these are big decisions that affect playoff assignments, that affect player contracts for 2020, that affect coaching contracts for 2020. Um, in, in the era of VAR, we cannot have mistakes that lead to calls getting overturned on appeal. Because that's an egregious, egregious system uh, mistake within the system uh, that when you have all these reviews, when you have the ability to look at plays and slow things down um, to just, I assume, look at the one wide angle and go, yep, Tony's the last guy. There's no one. There's he, He's keeping everyone on side. He's the last defender to be the only thing that I, as far as I can tell, that you checked because the review took about 10 seconds from the stadium that I, when I was there. Uh, yeah, that's 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 got to be something that gets looked at and i know we don't want to have reviews go on forever but when you review a play you have to review the entire play not just the one thing that you're looking for you have to make sure that all facets of the play are correct and are what you called and if that means you've got to take a yellow card off the board because you got it wrong that's what you should be doing you shouldn't be going back and saying well i believe this was a tactical foul and then go on review and say no, we got this wrong. That should be the outcome. Because on appeal, if the IRB or the review panel looks at that play and overturns it, it means that somewhere along the VAR process failed. 
And the VAR process cannot fail in early September. We fail in early, early March, and we can learn from it. It can't fail in early September. It can't fail in October. Uh, and if it is, we're going to have bigger problems then. Yeah, uh, VAR has uh, not been a very good experience in MLS, and the teams always come back to uh, bite the revs uh, uh, in, in the most unfortunate ways. And uh, it, it arguably could have cost them three points on Saturday. So, uh, hey, Jake, before we let you go, do you have any other complaints uh, about the refereeing uh, outside of this play? I think uh, both teams were uh, quite not unsatisfied with uh, uh, the performance from the uh, man in charge yesterday. And, and, and we need to we, we need to give Silvio Petrescu the following little caveat. I want to remind everyone this game is being played on the postage stamp known as the Yankee Stadium infield. Uh, the Yankee Stadium infield is not a, a viable way to judge or um, get consistent refereeing. It's basically going to be chaos. Uh, the goal of the referee then should be to manage that chaos. Um, because almost every other foul that occurs at Yankee Stadium, you could argue, is tactical because of the size of the field, because of how many players are next to each other, um, getting breakaways and things like that are going to be common. Why? Just the way you saw in the women's goal, the, the play that Tony ends up with the red card, when you get a ball over the top, when you get things like that, it's always going to be usually in an isolated situation. So we need to recognize, particularly at Yankee Stadium, that that particular condition and field state exists. And to not overreact uh, and card everything that you normally would on a regulation size field. We need to dial back the expectations and the uh, punishment um, because a lot of those things are going to be more fouls. You need to be a little bit more cautious on when you start dishing out your uh, consistent infringement yellows and, and things like that. Um, aside from that, I think the penalty to Andrew Farrell is accurate. Uh, currently, uh, he slid for the ball. He missed. I don't think he got really much of the player. The player more ran into him afterwards. Um, I view that more as obstruction than I do trip. Um, I would like to see that play again from Petrescu. He signals a goal kick, which I don't know how you have a goal kick from that, from that position. You're basically saying that the other guy kicked it last when really what you should be doing is saying, well, Farrell broke up the play somehow. It should be a corner. Uh, I think the penalty is fine. I would like to, in the future, see that play called as obstruction and have that be an indirect free kick, not a penalty kick, uh, because I don't think that Andrew really affects the, the player directly. Um, he affects the direction the player needs to go. But for the most part, that's consistent with the way the game is uh, now. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's a hard luck 2-1 uh, loss. It probably should not have been a 2-1 loss, but give State the revolution for the final 80 minutes. You'd be hard-pressed to hold off a team like New York City, even on a small field like that, for, for 80 minutes. Um, I forget the shot numbers. What was it, 10 of 30 on Matt's net? Yeah, they had 30 shots, 10 on net, I think. I believe you're right. Yeah, that's that's a lot. And I know that one of those is a penalty. I know that one of those is almost geared to keep you going. That's a lot to have Matt Turner do over the final 80 minutes and – and get out of there with the result. So uh, disappointing for you know fans like me who were there and the, the people on the buses that, that went down for several hours. Uh, another scenic, wonderful trip through uh, Connecticut. And uh, yeah, no, no, no trip through Connecticut is scenic, Jake. No, no, let's not get carried away here. But uh, hey, before we let you go, one more question. We we had a lot of questions today because obviously you can imagine that 
a lot of people are mad at uh, refereeing and MLS. Um, a lot of people are wondering if there's going to be um, any changes or do you, do you think anything could change the incompetence of the MLS referees? Or, or do you know if there's a reason to why they are this poor? Because it seems like it's becoming a worse and worse issue as time goes on. I think just like with anything, you know, VAR needs time uh, to, to develop and, and to grow. Uh, as a system, as people use it, um, it needs to be refined. Uh, what are, what reviews are we actually looking for? What should be reviewed? What shouldn't be reviewed? Um, when a play gets reviewed, making sure that all aspects of the play are reviewed, not just the one question or the answer that we're looking for. Um, I don't think you should be reviewing offsides. Uh, like the way that you do in hockey, where it's like, oh, my God, a little bit of the skate was not on the blue. Oh, my God, it overturned the goal. No, we don't want that. We don't want that. We want something a little bit more freer than that. We don't We don't need the rules or the reviews to be precise. We need them to be consistent. And, and that's always should be the goal. Um, you know, right or wrong in, in the laws of the game are, are a gray area. We need the calls from the officials to be as consistent as possible, because that's where the controversy is, is not when we perceive mistakes. It's when we look at something and go, well, six people did it this way and you're the one guy who did it wrong or did it differently, which I perceive is wrong. Why? And I think if you go back and look at this play, you're going to look at it and go, we've seen this foul all the time. It may be a yellow card. I think for the most part, it's probably should just be not even a foul. It should be whatever the ball went to back to Mac Turner. That should be the play. You want to call it a foul? Yeah, it's fine. No one's going to kill you. Um, you know, but but on you know, like I said, when you have these reviews, when you have these situations, and everything's under a microscope, you have the ability to view all aspects of the play, and you need to review all aspects of the play while you're doing it. So that's something that I think the league needs to really grow from is, hey, we're checking for offside. What you should also be checking for while you're there is, did a foul occur behind the play? Uh, did anyone else impede the ball from an offside position? You shouldn't just be looking at the, well, this guy, we want to make sure he got the ball. He got the shot off. We want to make sure he was offside. No, you need to make sure all facets of the play are legal, not just the ones that are obvious and, and right in front of you. Um, and I think as MLS referees, and as uh, referees, FIFA referees in particular, around the world use the system more often, um, they're going to get better at it. Uh, it's not going to be an overnight process. And I think we need to remember that. But at the same time, like I said, you cannot, under any circumstances, have a video review that some type of typically a red card getting overturned on appeal um, because that is about as egregious an error as you can have uh, in a system where you should not be, you should be making fewer, I want to say mistakes, but there should be fewer inconsistencies with how the league wants things called, how FIFA wants things called, uh, and in generally how referees call things from game to game and week to week, which we know is not going to be perfect, but we can't have wild swings like we've been seeing, uh, particularly uh, in MLS. 
And hopefully it doesn't uh, come back to haunt us in the uh, playoffs. Because as you said, these are issues that should be you know handled in March and not in September and October in the midst of a uh, tough playoff run. So, uh, hey, Jake, I appreciate you calling in and uh, giving us your input as the refereeing expert. Obviously, that was a big uh, point to this game. And uh, your your expertise is greatly appreciated. Yeah, we're, we're going to go a little bit more in, into detail. In, in particular, uh, you know, the, the specific, you know, four... Uh, classifications and four ways that a denial of goal scoring opportunity occurs, and, and we'll go into more details onto why I I don't think the call uh, should consistently be considered a red card. But there's more nuance to it than just that. But uh, Monday or Tuesday, I'm, I'm off this week. Uh, we'll have a little bit more uh, in writing uh, for those of you who really want to you know dig into the law book and figure out well you know how obvious does a denial of the goal scoring opportunity need to be? I'm telling you kids right now, nine times of ten, it is pretty obvious. This is the one time out of 10 where, no, 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 we need to do our due diligence and make sure what we're calling is right. And that'll be up on the bent musket, Jake? Of course. (laughs) All right. Well, Jake, thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you, guys. See you. All right, Sean, you've been waiting patiently for uh, your input. Uh, Do you have anything to add to the Ninth minute red card there. I think we're kind of in agreement that that was a pretty egregious call that did not help the refereeing. Uh, the ref, the the well, the referee was wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, th- I think we, I think we would all agree with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, one point that Jake did make that I wanted to touch on really quickly is I could completely agree with him that uh, playing at Yankee Stadium kind of affects everything, and I think it's uh, you know the worst situation in MLS when you talk about stadiums and playing surfaces the the novelty of seeing a team play at a baseball stadium has long ago uh worn off so i can't wait for someday when they can hopefully get a stadium that's not playing at Yankee stadium it kind of completely impacts the game um but the the only thing i would add to what jake said and i you know mostly agree with him completely is um you know i i don't think the two defend first of all i don't think it was a foul um and if, if it was a foul it was a situation where de la may had won the ball and then you know followed through a bit with his arm, so I don't think you can call that dog so. But if you're giving the referee the benefit of the doubt and somehow he didn't see that Dea Mele had won the ball, I don't think those other two defenders were in a good position to, to actually get back and, and defend if you look at the play. Um, I do think I can kind of see the justification, if you were to say that was a foul, um, on, on why you would call that perhaps a dying of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. But when you factor in the fact that De La May had kicked it away and had a clean tackle to begin with, um, that kind of throws it all out the window. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that that was a, a terrible call. Um, on the on the penalty kick play, um, I also agree with Jake. I think it was the right call, and I think it was a position where there was no reason at all where Andrew Farrell needed to slide in like that. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me to give, you know, to say too much negative about the revolution in a game when you played down a man for 81 minutes, it's almost inevitable that you're going to find a way to lose that game when you get a red card so early. Uh, but it was really unfortunate that the Revolution held on for so long. We're in such a good position to get a point. And then Farrell kind of slid in, in a position where he really had no need to slide in um, and led to that penalty kick call. So, um, you know, credit to the Revolution for holding on as long as they did. But that was, you know, sloppy play by Farrell at the end there. Uh, and, and we're going to kind of do today a little bit differently today. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can take away from a game where you're down a man 80 minutes 
Um, you know, the revs parked the bus and we'll, we'll kind of get into, I think, a lot of the main questions through listener questions. So we'll skip over our key takeaways. But before we get into listener questions, I, I think one person that we need to give a lot of credit for, uh, and, and certainly he, he has no blame yesterday since he went off uh, with a one nothing lead and was the lone goal scorer for the revs. But Juan Fernando Caicedo, Caicedo too, with his uh, coveted fifth goal of the season, uh, now making that over underline I set from at the beginning of the year a solid push. Uh, so you and Seth can breathe a little easier, Sean. Uh, but um, JFC scores uh, his fifth goal of the season in the second minute. Uh, Sean, uh, do you want to uh, heap some praise for JFC in this game? I, I thought he was pretty well overall and obviously taken off due to circumstance, but um, really solid shift from him, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I want to praise him, and I kind of want to praise Arena for, you know, going into this game, this was the lineup that I thought the Revolution should put out there, um, you know, given the circumstances. I think we talked a little bit about it last week that I thought, you know, Caicedo, number two, should, should start this game, and um, it paid off in just the second minute with that goal. It was one of those plays where, when, you know, when you see it happening in real time, and you see Caicedo, you know, out in front of his man with an opportunity to kind of run in the low nine goal, you know the defender's going to catch up to him because of the way... You know, Juan Caicedo runs. We talked before about he's, you know, an awkward runner and not the fastest guy on the pitch. Um, so there was that, that moment there where you're like, oh, crap, he's going to mess this up somehow, isn't he, with, with his speed. Uh, but he used his strength instead of his speed to kind of hold off the man, and the defender slipped, and it was, you know, great finish from him. Um, so it's, you know, disappointing and no fault of his own that he had to be subbed out in the 21st minute because it would have been nice to see what the Revolution could do with him on the field for uh, a longer period of time. Um, the the only thing I, I will say here, and you know that hasn't been brought up yet, is you, know, you you can't take a lot away from this game because of the red card. But even if the red card hadn't happened, I think you wouldn't be able to take a lot away from this game because you know New York City FC was missing about what six six starters on that <laughs> that lineup. So it was really a very weak New York City FC team, which you know put the Revolution in a position where they could where you thought they could go into New York City and, and get a win and you know really help their playoff chances and their playoff positioning. Um, which is, you know, what makes it even more disappointing how this game played out because the Revolution got off to a great start. It was a game you thought they could, you know, had a chance to win and um, they were doing everything right early on. So just disappointing the way that played out. But um, I think, you know, no matter how this game played out, it would be hard to take away too much one way or the other given all the circumstances. And I think the only thing you could really take away from this game uh, is something that we already knew already, and that is that Matt Turner might be one of the best keepers in MLS. Uh, certainly was thrown to the Wolves yesterday being down a man, uh, and the Revs defense certainly did not make it easy for him. Um, Opta is, Opta's expected goals uh, for NYCFC in this game was four, and the Revs conceded two, one of which was on the penalty kick there. So Matt Turner, uh, even though he conceded twice and did not get the win, still had a stellar performance in his uh, Yankee Stadium debut. Of course, Matt Turner is a uh, Yankee fan from New Jersey, unfortunately. That's his one flaw. Uh, but uh, really, really saw game for Matt Turner yesterday, and he continues to climb the ranks uh, of the uh, MLS goalkeepers, in my opinion. Uh, he's having an astounding uh, 2019 season, and uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Matt Turner on that, Sean? No, he had a great game, and, and he could not have been more left out to dry on, on that first goal, certainly, when there were, I think, three guys behind the defense open in the box for that cross. Um, you know, uh, barring a absolute horrible mistake from a, a striker or whoever you know was in the box in that play, um, you know, the goalkeeper's going to have no chance there. And then, of course, on a penalty kick, it's, it's always a crapshoot. Um, so no fault at all on Matt Turner on either of those two goals. And he made some big saves to, to keep the game closer than it perhaps could have been and to keep the revolution in a lot longer. Again, it's just a shame that 
uh, kind of an ill-advised tackle from Andrew Farrell led to them uh, not getting a point out of this game. Yeah, uh, not even Matt Turner can stop a uh, four-on-o break. Uh, that, that was uh, certainly his defense leaving him out to dry. And yeah, as you said, what happened? I, that was just a total breakdown all 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 the way around. And it it was it was clearly not offsides either. It was a, a pretty clean goal. Um, that just seemed everyone seemed to fall asleep on. And then Andrew Farrell, who I, I thought had a pretty decent game overall on the day too. Um, he uh, sixth career assist for him yesterday, by the way, I, I believe that's his first ever playing center back. Uh, but yeah, uh, obviously a, a huge mistake by Andrew Farrell in the 95th minute, a bit uncharacteristic of him. Um, I can't tell if he just missed time as tackle or what happened there, but um, conceding that penalty late on a, on a play that really wasn't going to result in a, a major chance. It wasn't a clear and obvious opportunity. Um, yeah, re- really his defense really let, uh, let down Matt Turner yesterday. So uh, let's head over to listener questions uh, just because we're kind of moving along and we have a banner ceremony to watch in a few minutes, Sean. So we'll, we'll get through this really quick. Um, a lot of people obviously upset about the refereeing, as I kind of alluded to when we have, we're talking to Jake. Zach Grimes says that NFL reps are, refs are crap. Uh, Revolution Report says, how can MLS refereeing be so incompetent? Uh, Matt T- Matt Davis says, how does MLS keep getting away with having this level of incompetent refs across the entire league every week, every match? It's something other leagues would not let this stand. I, I feel I feel uh, that MLS is seriously holding itself back from being a great league because of the refereeing. Um, so a lot of people not happy with the refereeing. Actually, we have a few more, too, here. Cambo from Discord says, can we cancel VAR? Uh, and can I have an in-depth recap of what the ref was thinking throughout that game, which I think Jake has already done? Uh, and then one person calling for uh, the referee, whose name I still cannot pronounce, even though it was said 70 times yesterday, um, asking if he can be fired. Uh, I don't think he will be fired, but as Jake says, I'm sure um, his assignments in the playoffs will be strongly reconsidered. Um, I thought it was one of the worst refereeing performances I've seen in a long time. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where I, I mean, it seems like we curse out the referees a lot, uh, Sean, but I, I, this strikes me as probably the worst refereeing performance uh, we've seen all season uh, in a Revs game. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen some some bad ones this year, some of which have gone in the Revs' favor, uh, many of which have gone against the Revs, but this, this was just a terrible one. And when you get a play like that wrong, uh, on VAR, it's so early on, you've just ruined the game. And that it's just really frustrating. Um, you know, for me, watching a game like this, it, it just it just ruins the entertainment of watching the game, knowing, knowing that this red card has just completely changed the game and you're not going to get to see a, a full 11-on-11 soccer game. Um, I don't, you know, I don't enjoy games watching a team get 30 shots on goal against a team that's just bunkering in the rest of the match. Uh, so, yeah, the, the refereeing really did ruin this game. I, I am someone that generally is in favor of the idea of VAR, but it's been really disappointing to see how it's been implemented over the past two seasons and, and plays like that. And, you know, you shouldn't be getting yourself in a VAR play, like Jake was saying, that ends up getting overturned by the by the disciplinary committee later on in the week. It just doesn't make any sense. If you're, if you're going to VAR, you've got to get the call right. And I just don't understand how, you know, the number of times, both in Revs games and in general in MLS games, you've seen them go to VAR and just get the call wrong. Yeah, and... and I- you know, another thing, too, is I don't know how it's going to get any better because I feel like VAR has just muddied the waters so much more. It used to be, well, you know, the referee saw something or didn't see something or, you know, in the heat of the moment, they just missed it. And, you know, that ruined a game. But, um, I mean, now VAR is still not helping things and, if anything, is is worsening these games. Um, so I, I'm not sure how MLS can improve <laughs> the quality of refereeing. Uh, it certainly seems to... 
almost be going in the opposite direction, having the opposite effects. And in the case of yesterday, it completely changed the outcome of that game. Um, I mean, it, it, as Bruce Arena said in his uh, post-game comments, it could have been a good game yesterday, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, I, I wonder if they need to change to maybe more of an NFL um, type structure where teams can challenge a play because it seems like, you know, and, and another thing too, we're talking about the red card, but one thing that drives me absolutely insane is the play until, you know, see what happens and then call off sides. I think that is the dumbest thing. And, and I understand why there's an incentive for assistant referees to keep their flags down until a play has concluded. But I think that's totally changed the it, – it's annoying for one thing. Uh, I, I think it takes away from the game to play out, uh, you know, a, a breakaway or something like that, um, you know, for 10 seconds or 10 or 15 seconds. And then just to say, actually, none of that play mattered. Um, I, I have a lot of issues with how VAR is being implemented. And uh, I, I think a lot of people will echo that, not just because the Revs have uh, lost a couple points yesterday because of it. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how it'll improve anytime soon. So. Um, I'm with you. (laughs) uh, Randy LH also says, how freaking BS was that result? Uh, Pretty BS, I would say. I I, I, I mean, you you don't know how that game is going to play out. But, you know, early goal, um, you know, as you said, a depleted NYC FC squad. uh, I I think if there's no red card, I think the Revs at least take one point. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a question later on. But anyway, uh, Mike Kennedy asks us, uh, did Arena take uh, Caicedo 2 off too soon? Would having a big target forward keep NYC off balance? Or was it the right move given the early red? So, Sean, we'll, we'll get into the JF Caicedo uh, sub really early on. I think he came off in about the 26th minute. Uh, he came off for Jaleel Anibaba. 21st. Uh, 21st minute. Uh, but, Sean, uh, what do you think of that sub? Do you think that was the right move to make? I, I do think it was the right move to make. And the only thing that surprised me was that it didn't come sooner. Um, especially when you're playing on a tight pitch like that and you really need to stay compact and you've got a lead. Uh, it's the right move to go out there and fix your back line. I think you needed to add another center back back there, um, especially Andrew Farrell as your you know your lone center back when it's not necessarily his natural position. He hasn't been playing there that long. And then having Brandon By and, and Dewan Jones, two guys that are midfielders, you know you're just asking for trouble. I think they had to do that. Um, you know again, I like the game Caicedo was playing. It's unfortunate that it had to happen, but if you're going to take somebody out, I think you know he's the guy that's probably not going to contribute much on defense. Um, you have a guy in Gustavo Bo who you know can kind of create something out of nothing, so you kind of want to keep him out there. Um, and then I don't think you want to take out Caicedo or, Z- Caicedo or Zahibo. I think you need them for defensive purposes, too. You're obviously not going to take out Carles Hill. He's another guy that can create a nothing. So it's either Caicedo or Pania. Uh, to me, it makes sense to take Caicedo out. Um, you're going to be playing a lot more counterattacking soccer, and you can use guys like Pania's pace. Um, again, really unfortunate for, for Caicedo, but to me, that was the right move. And you know, if Andy Baba was perhaps ready to come on sooner, I would have thought he would be brought on sooner, if anything. Yeah, and the other thing, too, about Juan Fernando Caicedo is that, you know, he can score goals, but he doesn't do a whole lot else. He needs people to help him set up plays. And, you know, I think being down a man, if it was Teal Bunbury, maybe you keep Bunbury out there. Um, but I, I, I wasn't shocked to see Juan Fernando Caicedo. I think you needed that second center back. They were pushing Zahibo back to kind of cover that space, but ultimately... I, I don't think that's the right move because then you're leaving Caicedo a little bit out to dry. Um, so, you know, you have the goal early. Uh, and, you know, all things considered, uh, it, it would have worked if it wasn't for that last minute um, penalty kick. You know, we're, we're here today talking about how Bruce Arena's subs were pretty amazing and, you know, how he was able to maintain that one point. Um, so I, I think, you know, at that point in the game, you know, 20th minute, 21st minute, whatever we're at, 
you know, how are you going to keep two goals off the board for NYCFC? I think the answer to that is, um, you know, bringing in a second center back there. I, I, I don't think uh, Caicedo, um, I think you needed to sub someone off. And I think Caicedo just offered you the least uh, amount out there compared to, you know, Carles Heel or um, Gustavo Bo or Christian Panier or someone like that. Um, although uh, it should be noted that second sub, uh, Gustavo Bo comes off for Juan Agadello, which was a bit of an interesting one. Uh, Barbara S wants us wants our thoughts on that. Would you have subbed differently after that bogus red card, meaning the the Caicedo uh, sub? Uh, and also when they pulled Bo, uh, she also asked us what we thought of Bo's play yesterday. He seemed to have less energy tonight. Uh, she adds Matt Turner was awesome, which goes without saying Matt Turner was great. But uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on Gustavo's blow, uh, Gustavo Bo, and how he played yesterday? Um, and if it was the wrong move to take him off so early? Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I'm 100 on board with the first sub. The the second two subs I was maybe less on board with um, you know especially if you're bringing on Aguadelo for Gustavo Bo I didn't think Aguadelo had a particularly good game off the bench um, I didn't think Bo had the the best game he's ever had either um, but he is one of those guys that all he needs is, is one chance to, to change a game I think I would have kept him on longer um, and if you were going to take him off I maybe would have brought on a, a guy like Caldwell who you know as I've talked about before is a guy that can go into that midfield make the safe pass and, and help your team keep possession um, you know there's there's got to be a role for Scott Caldwell on this team they extended his contract and it, it just is surprising to me that you know he's not a guy that gets his way into this game um, and even if it wasn't that first sub I think would have brought him on instead of Mancian in the 73rd minute um, because I, I, I'm not really sure what Mancian adds to a game like this I know you want to just get an extra defender back there but just Mancian's been so poor for this team um, that again I would rather have an, you know an extra body like Scott Caldwell that can can help clog up the midfield and, and, and make passes um, so I wasn't too thrilled with either of those second two subs from Bruce Arena um, and I don't think either of them worked out particularly well for the team yeah, and you know there were a couple of chances late in the game from Juan Agadello, and you got to think if those are Gustavo Bo, he finishes one of those chances. Uh, I mean, your your chances are going to be few and far between. Um, and you know, if you're gonna, you know, you need someone who can make something out of nothing, that's Gustavo Bo. So to take him out in the 62nd minute, I thought was uh, a bit interesting. I know he's maybe not a defensive player or whatnot, but um, maybe I did not notice he lacked energy, as Barbara said. Maybe he was tired or something to that effect. Maybe it was a little. You know, there was a little bit more logic to that reason. But, um, yeah, I, I understand why you want to get Juan Agadello in the game, too, because he can kind of play more in the midfield and he plays a little bit more defensively than a Gustavo Bo. I, I, I understand kind of that. But I think there was someone like Christian Pena uh, that you could take off first and you could hold Bo until later on in the game where you take him out. So, um, John, what, did you, what was your thought, too, about uh, – I, I know you said you didn't like both, but do you think they were went too defensive bringing in Mancien? I, I actually like the move because I think at that point you're just going all out to protect that 1-1 one, one draw. Um, I, I didn't really have a lot of impact uh, issue with that that third sub at all, but it seems like you did. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an issue with going defensive. I just don't think Mancien with the, you know, the type of player that he is and – He's kind of slow at this point in his career. He gets in the way sometimes more than not. Um, I, I get the logic behind it, but I, I just don't understand why a guy, again, like I said already, but why a guy like Caldwell doesn't get used in situations like this when you're you know, trying to hold on to a lead and trying to maintain possession. He's a guy that can get stuck in and I think covers a lot more ground than um, some of the substitutions they made um, and helps the team keep possession more. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, Mancien came in and had four touches over the last 20-plus you know, minutes of the game that he played. Um, I don't know if Caldwell would have had more, but I think Caldwell could have had more of an impact. Gotcha. So you're not against parking the bus. You just think it was the wrong wrong move to make. You're exactly. Wrong. And I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of just piling on center backs as a way to park the bus necessarily as opposed to bringing on you know, defensive midfielders when you have that available option on the bench. 
Gotcha. Uh, moving on, uh, Adam McLean says, what do you think about starting a GoFundMe to uh, pay, uh, pay pro referees to call games fairly or maybe to support better ref training that was uh, train wreck refereeing and not just the red card? Uh, he does also add that the next game is big. Uh, are we screwed with yellow card accumulation with so many players out? And uh, Tony De La Mea, assuming his suspension is not overturned, he will be missing the game. Um, uh, Wilfred Zahibo is out due to yellow card accumulation. Juan Agadello is out due to yellow card accumulation. Um, we also have another uh, question from Gboyd213 on Discord who says, uh, now that Tony is suspended, who do you pair with Farrell next week? Uh, so, Sean, I'll go to you. Um, do you think the refs are in a bad position with uh, three players missing? Or do you think that since they are kind of maybe supporting players that that you're not as you're not losing too much confidence going into Orlando? Yeah, look, I... I maybe uh, not necessarily alone, but in a minority here. And I don't think you lose anything or much from going from Zahibo to Caldwell. Um, I think if the revolution do that, they'll be okay. Uh, Aguadella didn't start this game. And as I said, I don't think he played particularly well. I think the revolution are just fine without him. Um, you know, the combination of missing the two of those guys leaves you particularly thin um, at the central midfield spot where Aguadella has been playing a lot lately. Certainly there's, there's really nobody else when, you know, if, if Caldwell or Caicedo were to get hurt. Um, the De La Maya suspension, if the Revolution are missing him, I think that hurts. I do think that him and Farrell are the best pairing the Revolution have back there. I expect that to get overturned. Um, but if it doesn't, you know, Andy Baba's probably the one that slots back there based on the sub we saw in this game and, and based on how Mancien's played, if I were to guess. Um, I think that hurts the Revolution a little bit, if that's the case. Um, but I think the Revolution still have enough to, to get a result in, in Orlando, even with those subs. It does just leave them, you know, worryingly thin on defense. And, um, you know, going into the game, too, uh, as we talked about before, uh, Farrell now is on yellow card watch and Carly's Hilo is on yellow card watch. So if the two of them were to get a yellow card against Orlando, uh, either, you know, either of them getting a yellow card would mean that they were suspended for the next game. Um, and certainly losing a guy like Carly's Hilo or even losing a guy like Andrew Farrell has been, you know, so good since Bruce Arena took over. Uh, would be pretty devastating for the revolution after the Orlando game. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you bring up a good point. I, I don't think they're going to miss a lot out of their starting lineup, but I do think they're going to be a little screwed on subs. Uh, I'm not sure who's coming off the game. You, you still have Diego. I would imagine Scott Caldwell is going to step in for um, Wilfred Zahibo. Uh, and then, you know, but I, I think you'll miss Juan Agadello coming off of the bench. Um, I imagine Annie Baba is going to be moving in for. Um, uh, Tony De La Maya. Are, are we on the same wavelength with Anibaba over Mancien? Yeah, and the, the only thing I uh, question I have is, do you recall Brian Wright for this game, given you have no real forward options if you know Bunbury so it doesn't make a miraculous recovery? And, and we did see Brian Wright score a fantastic goal this week. Well, we could go do that, but I actually was going to go in another uh, direction because I think you're you're missing uh, kind of a midfield player because I don't know, you know, Diego Fagundes kind of dropping back doesn't really appeal to me. Uh, do you potentially uh, call up Isaac Anking? Uh, to maybe cover for the midfield and call him back up for one game. Um, I, I think there are some options that they could go with. Brian Wright does make sense to me because you don't really have that striker on the bench with Teal Bunbury out, assuming Teal Bunbury is still out, uh, and Juan Agadello suspended. I guess Tayon Buchanan could play striker, but I don't think that really appeals to you too much. Uh, so I, I I agree with you. I, I was going to go there in a second. Brian Wright, I do think, could get a, a quick one-game call-up, uh, number 77 there, because uh, I don't, I don't know how many games Juan Fernando Caicedo has played 90 minutes either. Um, I'd have to go back and check that out. But, um, yeah, I, I think there are 
they're really low on the bench. And even if those guys don't get into the game, I don't think it's a bad idea to maybe call up um, uh, Isaac Anking and Brian Wright. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how that happens. Um, we have a couple, a couple of comments here from MJ on Twitter. Uh, have to upgrade from Agadello in the next uh, transfer window. His lead foot killed any chance to go ahead and steal three, uh, stating the obvious, but need to move on from Mansian as well. Uh, too static out there, Andy, defensive liability. Um, he says that even though the, the Agadello didn't knock in those two chances, the Revs were under assault, and we were we are lucky that Matt Turner is on. Uh, New York blew a lot of their chances, and we were lucky to be in it, uh, which is a pretty uh, fair statement. I don't think they will be able to move on from Juan Agadello because I believe he has a multi-year contract, uh, and he's at a $600,000 yep. a year salary. So I do not expect him to be moving anywhere quickly um, unless maybe, I don't know, if European interest picks up. Probably not, but I think Juan Agadello is here for the long-term future. Uh, but yeah, he, he also has been playing pretty well. I, I know it was a bit of a tough game yesterday. He didn't finish his chances. His finishing has gone down from years past when he was a – he looked like a very stu- you know, stud striker. Um, but a bit, of a bit of a tough game in finishing, but I think he's uh, coming into his own a little bit as a central midfield player. It's a bad game yesterday. Um, John, we have one more question too, uh, which is a bit of an interesting question that I thought was uh, obvious at first. Uh, but I, I've actually thought about it a little bit more, and you can tell me why it's a stupid question. But uh, nearby Eclipse on Discord asks us, how much longer will Matt Turner still be a rev? Uh, and originally I was going to say, well, I, I imagine his extension is three or four years. So I would say at least three or four years um, and then maybe tack on a few years onto that. But is Matt Turner so good that he might get interest from teams in other countries could we potentially be seeing because there was an athletic article that said that matt turner could potentially play in the premier league someday uh and that's obviously high praise that was from uh kevin hitchcock the goalkeeping coach for the revolution uh so i mean do you think it's possible that maybe matt turner is a transfer target from some teams in europe i I, what are your thoughts there look i mean right now no um, but the way he's playing, and if he keeps playing, again, you know, he's only played just more than one full season worth of games, as I've said before. But the way he's playing right now is, is phenomenal. Um, and if he keeps playing this way, and if he does it consistently, if he avoids you know, stupid fouls, um, you, you might be talking about him differently right now if he had gotten the, the, the red card the week before that um, he probably deserved. Um, but you know, he's, he's been playing really well. His, his shot-saving ability is phenomenal. If he goes the next season... Um, and you know makes it through to the summer and keeps playing at this level and his you know starting position is never questioned his distribution keeps improving um, best case scenario he might start to have interest as soon as next summer um, so yeah I, I don't know how long the revolution will keep on to keep keep on uh, holding on to him the sky's kind of the limit as far as how his development goes um, if he keeps developing at this rate um, I think you know there's possibility that as soon as next summer you could you start seeing some interest from him because goalkeepers that good are, are hard to find um, but with that said uh, you know again he hasn't done this consistently over a very long basis uh, so we're really getting ahead of ourselves to kind of project that that's going to happen um, but there's you know a lot of reason to be optimistic and a lot of reason to think that you know he could have a long-term future with the revs and um, if he plays better than you know, even better than he's playing now, he could have a long-term future, you know, somewhere over in Europe. And uh, I know that a lot of people uh, have heard my expected goals to goals against uh, differential stat, which I'm going to try to explain once again. But uh, it's expected goals against minus uh, goals against actual goals against. And this measures basically, you know, how many projected goals a goalkeeper has stopped. And I've mentioned this a, pa- a couple episodes in a row now about how Matt Turner is leading MLS in this category before the New York City FC game. He was at negative 
8.29, uh, which means he has stopped a projected 8.29 goals from going in. Uh, I just want to kind of read off a quick list. Uh, Tim Malaya in 2017, Stefan Fry in 2018, Bill Hamid in 2014, Luis Robles in 2013, Nick Romando in 2015. That's five goalkeepers. Those five goalkeepers in those five seasons are the only goalkeepers to have a higher uh, differential than Matt Turner is having this season, according to American Soccer Analysis, which has been tracking this since 2011. So Matt Turner is having one of the greatest seasons of the decade for an MLS goalkeeper. Uh, and if you look at his number from last year, too, it was also imp- impressive. Not nearly uh, as impressive as he's doing this season, but uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, so it's about around 22nd on this list. So Matt Turner has turned in two very, very good seasons uh, for the Revolution. And they they mentioned in that athletic article from last week that he's still pretty much a baby. He's still only, I think, 25 years old. Uh, he came into soccer, into the sport a little bit later than most. Uh, he really didn't really catch on until uh, his college years. So, um, I mean, he has a lot of room to grow, it seems like. And, you know, as time and time goes on, this looks like less and less of a fluke. I know there's a very short sample size, but um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets um, some interest. Um, going back to the question, how much longer will Matt Turner be a rev? If I'm putting in a guess, I'm going to say three more years. I think he plays out his extension. And then as that extension kind of comes up, I think the revolution might sell him uh, for a bit of a profit. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on if you have a random guess on how long uh, Matt Turner will still be a rev. We still don't even know the contract details, uh, but that I'm saying three years. No, I, th- I think that's a, a realistic guess i would i would uh go somewhere around there as well all right and uh john i think that actually kind of does it uh, i had brian right down on my list uh, of news to talk about but uh, if you haven't seen it yet go look up that goal he had for uh birmingham this week he had a really nice assist last week he had a really nice chip goal uh for the legion this week um i think he has four goals now in the season which you know isn't a number that jumps off of the page uh but he's certainly been coming on into his own uh, a little bit lately and i believe it's a contract year for him so uh, it'll be interesting to see how the revs handle him because he's um certainly showing off his talent uh, in usl uh sean do you have any final thoughts before we sign off today no it's just a, like you said you got to check out that goal and i think this is an opportunity for the revolution going into this weekend to recall a couple guys from loan and um when you score a goal like what brian wright scored this week um your confidence has to be high and you mentioned Juan Caicedo. He hasn't gone 90 minutes since June, and he's played very sparingly since then. So I think it would be asking a lot to expect him to go 90 minutes. And I don't really know if, if Bunbury's not back. I don't know who else you could, could put out there. So um, it, it makes every bit of sense to me to, to give Brian Wright a, a shot to, to come back and um, you know really have a good chance of getting minutes in that game. Yeah, uh, it's his first game since uh, July 18th against the Vancouver Whitecaps where he played, or or, sorry, he has had six consecutive games where he's played less than 23 minutes or less, so mostly coming off of the bench. Uh, He played 62 minutes uh, against the Whitecaps, 61 minutes uh, in a 2-2 draw against DC United, 82 minutes against the Colorado Rapids in Colorado on that July 4th slash July 5th game. Uh, And then, yeah, he had 90 minutes against Houston Dynamo. That was his last full 90 minutes. That was June 30th. Um, He has two other games in uh, in MLS where he's played all 90 minutes. The Atlanta United game in April and then the 6-1 massacre uh, in May uh, in in the waning days of uh, Brad Friedel. So, um, yeah, I I would not be shocked to see a couple call-ups because they're going to be a little bit thin on the bench end. As you mentioned, uh, there's a couple guys on yellow card watch that uh, might might leave us uh, might be more impactful uh, in Andrew Farrell and, and Carly Seal that I think we might be in a little bit more of a bind against Salt Lake if uh, those two see yellow uh, on Saturday so 
Uh, you oh Sean, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Sean L. Donahue. And you can follow us at Revolution Recap. Uh, also, please like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, please leave us a review also on iTunes or wherever you are listening. The Revs will try to start up another unbeaten road streak next week as they travel to Orlando City in a key matchup uh, for Eastern Conference uh, playoff spot. Uh, Orlando is currently sitting on the outside looking in, and obviously a win over New England would be huge for their chances. So the Revs need to kind of uh, step on this bug before they catch up to us. Uh, we'll be back next week to break it all down. I believe, actually, I should have ran this by you before. Sean, are you doing podcast next week? Planning to, as long as I can find a co-host. <laughs> okay. Sean is planning to be here but next week to break it all down. I will be at a wedding, uh, and so I will not be here, but Sean will be here with a mystery guest, possibly. Uh, until then, thank you all for listening, and go Revs.